finds the lane and jams it down. Taking you behind the scenes and inside the locker room. You're listening to The Raptors Beat with Josh Lewinberg and Nikki Reyes on TSN 1050. The Raptors live here. Welcome to another edition of the Raptors Beat. Nikki and Josh here with you. Feeling pretty good, Josh, on this Thursday, gotta say. Although the Raptors did drop that game on Tuesday to the Phoenix Suns. They had that six-game winning streak going. Things were turning around in Raptorland. Team healthy. The healthiest it's been all season, at least. But, of course, a loss is a loss, Josh. But if we had to look at the entirety of the six-game streak and that one loss to Phoenix. How impressive was that loss to the Suns? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think in some ways the loss is more impressive than the six wins just based on the level of competition. No, I mean, listen, I, I think... I think you've got to give them credit for the six wins and more so than some people are giving them. Uh, in spite of the level of competition, like all six wins, as we know, came against teams missing their best player. But at the same time, what if the Raptors would have lost any of those games? And it would have been like, okay, well, the, the sky is falling. How could you miss this opportunity? How could you blow this opportunity? You've got to take advantage of, of opportunities like that. The Raptors did that, and credit to them. Uh, but I do think naturally after a stretch like that, when you're fortunate enough to play some depleted teams there there are going to be those questions of how real is this how legit is it uh, how sustainable is a, a run like this uh, but to come out and hold your own against I mean right now the best team in the NBA in the Phoenix Suns a team that in spite of the current landscape of the league with so many teams being either banged up or missing guys due to the protocols the Suns are relatively healthy and the Raptors were missing two key starters they didn't shoot the ball well but it it wasn't for a lack of effort I mean you look at the 22 offensive rebounds inspired performances from guys like Chris Boucher Justin Champagny in the fourth quarter the trio of Van Vliet Ananobi and Siakam played really well so yeah I mean we used to say all the time there's no such thing as moral victories and I think that was more pertaining to that veteran championship contending Raptors team this is not that team right this is a young group yeah. and they're still building and growing and they haven't had a ton of signature wins I'm not sure that they've had any signature win against a really good healthy team at full strength this year so yeah I mean we've heard of statement wins this might have been a statement loss a statement that this momentum that they've been building here over the last few weeks is not just against it's not just because they've been playing depleted teams they're actually onto something right now they're actually building something and I like what I'm seeing from this Raptors team right now I think that was my issue with uh they should have won these games and you know because everyone was missing a key piece uh in in those uh contests against like New York and against of course LA um, I don't think anything is a gimme with this team, though. Uh, this is a team that's still trying to find its footing, finally back healthy for the first time, you know, all season. They were struggling to get to 500 before the six-game win streak happened. And, yeah, maybe that Utah game where they had absolutely nobody, um, it was a, a total G League team, They should it should have been an, an, an easier win than it was. 
But I don't think any of these games, by any sense, should have been gamies. But what that Phoenix game did show me was, yes, they were missing Scotty Barnes and Gary Trent Jr. was that they have to be firing at all cylinders at all times if they want to compete. Um, like some of these games are pretty close. Like if you look at the New Orleans game, if you look at um, that game against Milwaukee, when sure Giannis wasn't there, but nothing is easy for this team. That's for sure. But what I did like about this week is that it, it the storyline wasn't, oh, they're beating, you know, you know, lesser teams. What I liked that came out of this week was almost like the emergence of Fred Van Vliet, almost this, this like uh, validation that, yes, he should be an all-star. He's playing at that level. And also the emergence of Pascal, the point forward, and <laughs> and what he's been doing, looking the best he's looked in, in a long time. But I don't know. Did you learn anything from this team, um, from that loss on Tuesday that maybe you didn't know before? Um. Well, I just don't think we've seen them in a situation like that where they're tested against a really good, really healthy team in a while. Like, it's been a really, really long time, at least since they've also had – I know they weren't at full strength. They're missing two key starters, but at least they had – the bulk of their core in terms of Van Vliet and Ananobi and Siak. I'm like, how long has it, has it been since they've had a game like that? You've got to go yeah. back maybe a month. And that's just the reality of the league right now. I know a lot of people are saying, well, it's tough to evaluate or know where you're at right now because either you don't have your full lineup or the other team doesn't have their full lineup. But that's not just the Raptors. I mean, that's every team in the league right now trying to figure out where they're at and what they need less than a month ahead of the trade deadline. It's really tough just because of the reality, the situation around the NBA right now with the COVID protocols and injuries and rest load management, all of that stuff. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think to be able to see them in a, a game like that and to be able to see how they executed, how they were able to uh, fight and hold their own, like, I, I think that's important because, yeah, it, it's been an inconsistent group this year as i think you can mm -hmm. expect given the injuries and the youth the inexperience and all of that so to be able to take advantage of those those games where they're going up against depleted teams is important i think just based on the way things are right now you can win a lot of games by winning the the ones you're supposed to right like there are a lot of either bad teams or weakened teams right now so just by winning games you're supposed to win you're already a 500 team, but then if you can compete in the games against good teams, that's where I think this, this Raptors team needs to show themselves right now, and they're going to have some more tests upcoming. We'll talk about the coming schedule. They head out on a five-game road trip now, and, and they're going to have some, some games against tough teams where we're going to learn some things about them. And again, going into that February 10th trade deadline, this is a good time for that, a good chance for, uh, I, I think, not only us to see what this team is made of, but Masai Ujiri, Bobby Webster, and the front office to evaluate things a little bit. Oh, yeah, most definitely. I think there's you know a level of confidence when it comes to the starting five and what they're able to do because – um, again, three of the five are, are, are champions, are former champions. But when you look at the rotation, still, you know, one of the worst in the league, if not the worst in the league, um, 
it is a bit disheartening. Utah Watanabe got the start against the Suns on Tuesday. Of course, it was his first game back after being in, in uh, COVID protocols. And it was, I would say, his worst performance. Uh, I think we've ever seen him uh, play as a Toronto Raptor. Um, so I'm going to cut him some slack. But there's guys like Sabima Hyluk. Where do we stand on him, uh, Josh? At this point in the season, how do you feel about Sabi and his role on this team? I think we've seen enough of Svima Hyluk to to be able to say that <laughs> to be able to say that it's time to unleash Justin Champagny, right? Like yeah. <laughs> Nick Nurse mentioned the other day, Champagny's knocking on the door of the rotation. Like I I, I think he's broken that door open. At least he should have it at this point. Um, it's tough because, as you mentioned, that that Raptors second unit has not been very good this year at least they haven't been consistent and that's the one thing you're asking for from a bench unit is you want consistency maybe not in terms of shot making or even performance but you want consistency in terms of the effort that's all you can ask for is is those guys come in they bring effort they they try to change the pace of the game um and with a guy like Svi, who's so dependent on those shots falling, if his shot's not falling, he's not bringing much because he's not giving you much defensively. The effort is sort of all over the place. Champagny, like offensively, yeah, I mean, you might not get very much from him, but that's not what he's out there for. He's bringing energy, and, and he embraces that role coming off the bench. He knows what he's in there to do. He's crashing the glass hard. We've talked about this before on this show that he is one of the best rebounders I've ever seen at, at that size, six, six or, or smaller. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's not a coincidence that when he's out there, he tends to have an impact on games. Good things tend to happen. And Nurse has been using him as sort of that change of pace, situational player late in games or, or when they need some sort of a, a lift. But I'd like to see him in more of a regular role. It doesn't have to be a big one. Maybe it's only 10, 12 minutes a game. But I think he's earned it. And I'd like to see him there instead of Svi uh, Mahailuk, just based on what we've seen here uh, over the last few weeks. Yeah, he definitely does have a knack for shifting the momentum and bringing that energy and what I like about him is that he knows his role he doesn't go out there and try to do too much uh, he doesn't overextend himself and he always just seems to have that energy and that readiness uh, as soon as he hits the floor and of course part of that I'm sure is the hunger and eagerness to show uh, the team what he can do and give him by himself some more minutes uh, and he, he's definitely doing that. And he's just got a great demeanor about himself, right? I just I just like his attitude. He's just very like, I'm just going to do whatever I have to do to, to get this team to win and just bring what I need to bring. And he and he does that. And I love that uh, about watching Justin Champagne. And I love his little stories about his brother and his family texting him and during games and when he's done with the game, like he has all these voicemails. And I don't know. He's just a, he's just a fun guy that you just want to, to see, you know, succeed. Um, it's a fun story, and yeah, and I mean the Raptors just have a way of finding these these guys, these overlooked, under the radar, undrafted players. Um, it, 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 I mean it's 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 been fun, and I I think 
I mean, for the first time this season, and, and, and obviously the, the results are starting to show it too, but for the first time this season, the Raptors are, are relatively healthy, and it does seem like Nick Nurse is starting to settle into a rotation and find a rotation. And, and that's why I think things are solidifying themselves a little bit just in terms of like Champagny standing out and, and pushing for min- more minutes over a guy like Sfima Hailuk. I think talk about Chris Boucher as well because he's been playing really well and the numbers haven't always reflected that but he also seems to really be buying into that role of bringing energy off the bench offensive rebounds blocking shots running the floor things like that like the shots still not falling but um I, I think like I said that's that's what you want from a bench unit guys like Boucher and and Champagny Precious Achua has been pretty good there, and that's the type of player that you want as well, somebody that comes in and, and brings that kind of energy. So, I mean, I I, I like it. I, I think still you're looking at – you mentioned that position the, uh, from the other day where you're, you're, you're missing Gary Trent Jr. You're looking for somebody in that spot. Utah Watanabe didn't give it to them, and he's not really an offensive option. And, I mean, neither is Champagny either, and if Spee's not – hitting his shots, where do you get that offensive punch coming off the bench or in that spot? So that's maybe something that the Raptors have to look at going into the trade deadline because I do think there's an area of need there. But for the first time in a while, it does sort of seem like they've got the they've got the makings of a rotation that, that makes sense in a lot of ways. Yeah, I mean, you can argue that there's a need at, you know, the the, the the big, the center position, which has been a need for a while now. And you can argue yeah. at the backup point guard position. But what we've seen, you know, through these injuries and, and these COVID uh, protocols and, and whatnot, um, it's this emergence of, of Pascal uh, as, as, a, as a ball handler, uh, as a, a point forward. And, and he was telling us that this is something that he enjoys doing. He's getting comfortable, you know, uh, kind of directing traffic and, and um, being that playmaker. Um, and it's obviously a really small sample size of him doing this. But Josh, what do you think of what he's been able to do here so far? Kind of, you know, we talk so much about, you know, easing the burden on, on Fred Van Vliet and, and saving some some energy for the playoffs should they come. And, and for the rest of the season, we're going to burn this guy out who leads the the league in minutes and miles of run and, and all that. But between him and Scotty, how sustainable do you think it is that they kind of take on this this uh, backup point guard position? Well, I like it, and it's not just the backup point guard position, right? Because they're using Pascal more as a primary ball handler, as a playmaker, even when Van Vliet and the starters are yeah. on the floor, as you mentioned. And it is taking a lot of pressure off Van Vliet. It almost reminds me of what Fred used to do for Kyle, right? In, in taking the yeah. pressure off of him as the primary playmaker, as a ball handler, allowing Lowry to play off of the ball a little bit and utilize his skill set as a scorer as a shooter and that's what Siakam is doing for Van Vliet right now and and it's a big reason I think it's a big reason why both of them are playing their best basketball because I I think Pascal is the type of player that is at his best when he feels more involved when he has the ball in his hands and he can make plays for himself and others I I think that that's a skill set that he has and as he mentioned the other day that he's continuing to develop and get more comfortable in but also Van Vliet is an elite shooter, as we've seen, as we've been reminded here over the last few weeks. Mm-hmm. 
he's really good. One of the best catch-and-shoot players in the NBA right now. So when he can play off the ball, when he can kind of focus on being a scorer as much or more even than being a ball handler and a creator, I think in a lot of ways that brings out the best in him, not to mention taking the pressure off of him when he does go to the bench. You, You look at some of those numbers, I mean, as we know, for most of the season, Fred would go to the bench and we would cringe, and Nick Nurse would probably cringe too because you're just hoping that that group can hold serve. Uh, before the winning streak, the Raptors were minus 134 with Van Vliet on the bench, but over the last seven games, they're plus 32 without Fred, um, and sorry, plus 36 without Fred, and a big reason for that is point. Pascal Siakam has been on the floor for almost all of those minutes in fact over the last seven games it's Siakam that's a plus 102 they're minus 35 without him so I I, I, we talked about this last week too I really think those two are settling into their roles in the post Lowry era they're really feeding off of each other and playing off of each other really well Uh, and, and it's good to see because this Raptors team is is better for it right Oh, 100%. And both of them are demanding uh, attention from defenses, and one of them is going to get doubled. And so I just like where their game is at right now. And you're right, they're definitely in a real flow. And kind of unfortunate that Scotty's uh, sidelined right now because he's someone who uh, the last couple of games I feel like hasn't been as, I don't want to say out of rhythm, compared to the start of the season but he's just someone who's kind of just been a little bit more quiet than than he than he was uh games prior so he's someone looking to get going and hopefully he's back soon because you mentioned it the Raptors are going to be uh, on this road trip and playing a majority of their games away from home I think it's 16 of the next 22 games are away from home so um okay Josh let's get to the Kalos right now the Kalo awards um we're going to give points out to the best Raptors the best Raptor uh, this past week. We'll give them three points, two, and then one. Uh, So who's going to get your three points uh, this week, Josh? This is an interesting week, and uh, (laughs) I don't know. I I think I'm leaving some important guys out here, uh, but got to make some tough decisions, right? Uh, So I'm going to give my three points to – it's not a player. It's, it's It's not a man. It's not even a person. Ah, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna go with the Raptor. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, he he's he's doing important work right now, Nikki. I mean, without fans in the building, he's doing the job of twenty thousand people. Yeah. Um, no no Drake in there either to to get under the other team's skin. So, uh, the Raptor is is holding the fort right now. Uh, obviously, uh, a. a big game against the Suns um as if there was nothing else to talk about from that game right like the, 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 the all the lead changes and ties it was such a competitive game uh but the story at the end was Devin Booker versus the Raptor and you know what I I, I like it I, I like the Raptor getting under Booker's skin a little bit it does I mean I was a little bit confused by what happened there right because Mascots I've never seen anything are... like that. It was ridiculous, really. <laughs> Mascots are doing that every day That's in every arena in full buildings. It's literally his job. But for some yeah. reason, there's like this like double standard now that like because the Raptors 
can't host fans. They can't have anything else going on in the building, right? Like it's just supposed to be like a quiet, empty arena. No, like yeah, they can not still a have morgue. their home. It, they can still have their home court advantage in terms of like having their game ops do their thing as annoying as the piped in crowd noise is. Um, they can still have his, the mascot in the building doing, doing his thing. So yeah, I don't know. Like it, some of it seems silly, right? Like, I don't know that Herbie needs to be doing the reads of like, Hey fans, keep your masks on. Hey fans, <laughs> he, he go and get a vote point for, for Fred Van Vliet. <laughs> but I do think there is some element of like, you, you do want to have some normalcy in there and they're still putting yeah. on a show, right? Like the games are still being televised. You could still see the Raptor on TV doing his thing. And for fans at home, like that's an important thing. This is still a game in Toronto. You still want to have that Raptors y feel to the game. So I'm all for it. I, I, I want the Raptor to keep doing his thing as I'm sure everyone else does. So three points from me to the Raptor. You know what? That that is a really good call because I was at the I was at the game on Friday and Sunday. I was doing sidelines for them. And not that I'm asking anyone to feel sorry for me, but there is a definite, you know, lack of energy and for myself included. I was like, wow, this is kind of this is kind of tough to get up for this game. So I can only imagine what it's like to be on the court and, and you not have to, you know, as Nick Nurse said, manufacture their own fun. Uh, so good for the Raptor. Good for Hubie too. Hubie like deserves, I think, an honorable mention here for just being able to bring it with no one else around him. Um, but I'm going to have to give my three points to Fred Van Vliet, obviously. First career triple-double, the highest scoring triple-double in, in Raptors history, and he's just been playing lights out. So I think that that's a pretty, that's a, a no-brainer easy one for, for me. So he's getting my three. Who's getting your two points? I'm going to go with Chris Boucher. We, we talked yeah. about him a little bit earlier, and the shot still not falling. He's won for his last 14 from three, 23% on the season after shooting 38% last year. But I love what he said the other night. He, he's reached a point now where he's like, if, if the shot goes in, great, but I'm not going to rely on it. I'm not going to go out there and, and take four or five of them a game as maybe he used to. And I think we are starting to see the evolution in Boucher in that sense. Like he passed yeah. open, uh, he passed uh, up a wide open three the other day to find, uh, I, I believe it was Scotty Barnes in the corner uh, for the three that rattled around, bounced four times before falling a familiar sight of course in that building uh but boucher has embraced this role of, of coming off the bench and bringing the energy he told us he's been studying dennis rodman clips and i mean yeah rodman rodman has gotten more mentions here over the last a lot of love more love in that locker room probably than like goran Dragic at this point I, i've heard rodman's <laughs> name more than Dragic's over the last few weeks around the raptors <laughs> Uh, but no, you, you you love to see it because he's a player that's always come in and, and change games with his energy, and and that's the type of player there. There's he can develop even at this stage of his career. There there's a need for that in the league, and definitely on this team as he's identified, and, and he's finding that niche for himself. So I like it. Two points for Chris Boucher. Yeah, I, he got my two points too for all the things that you just said and. You know, I spoke to him, and he said he was focusing on the wrong things before. He was spending his energy on the wrong things. He knows uh, his job and his role now to use his length, to rebound, to, to bring that energy and, and speed. And, and you're right, the offense isn't always there for him. But, man, he is just so effective 
or like his activity is just so evident and, and I'm really happy that he's been able to turn it around and find his his game as of late and of course he gave us that that awesome moment uh in that Utah Jazz game where he just collapsed on the bench and and was just doubled over and that was hilarious but but it just just shows you know how hard uh he, he's working when he's out there okay real quick who's got your your one point Again, a lot of guys this week. Fred VanVleet was the was the player of the week, and I'm actually not going with him. He gets an honorable wow. mention from me. Justin Champagny, an honorable mention as well. But I've got to go with Pascal Siakam for all those reasons that we talked about. I, I mean, he's playing really well in a lot of different facets of the game right now. But the area where we've seen a ton of growth from him is the playmaking. Uh, career high 4.6 assists per game this year, but especially over this stretch, the last eight games, he's had at least five assists in all eight of them, seven plus assists in five of the eight. Uh, he, he's making reads that we've never seen him make right now and, and almost the right read on every single play. Um, I, I just think he's he's playing at such a high level right now and feeding off of Van Vliet helping bring out the best in Van Vliet and others. Uh, so I, I'm going to go with Pascal Siakam here. Yeah, he's a virtually – he's a double-double machine uh, as of late. And, and I just love his demeanor right now. He just seems so – like he's having fun again. Like he's really engaged, uh, and, and I like where he's at. But I, I, I was going to go with him, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pivot real quick here because you're right, a lot of guys could get it. I'm going to give it to – Gary Trent Jr., who hasn't been playing his best basketball as of late, but I'm going to give it to him because it, maybe in that game against the Suns without him, it, we I realize how important he is to this team. He's really vital in his role uh, defensively, of course, and on offense. And so I'm going to give him a point and hope that he comes back uh, sooner rather than later. Am I allowed to do that? I just did. Yeah, you're yeah. allowed to do whatever you. I gave three <laughs> points to the mascot. This you did, week. yeah. So we, we are, that, that's the beauty of the Kalos is we're allowed to do whatever we want. Points can go to whoever. Uh, speaking of which, let's let's look at the leaderboard here. Fred Van Vliet running away with it a little bit. Thirty-two Kalo points on the season. Uh, although he does have a little bit of competition behind him with Scotty Barnes, Pascal Siakam, both of them with 22 points now. Gary Trent actually moves into fourth with eight go. points, so a pretty big gap there between three and four. And, hey, I mean, Trent is deserving of the point for the outfit the other day alone. The, oh, what, what was that? that a poncho? A, a cape or a poncho, yeah. Apparently Brilliant. not not an inexpensive getup. I heard. Uh, I, I pretty, heard pretty, too. Pretty pricey. Yeah, yes. I think he could afford it, but he he t he always brings it, dude. He always just brings the fashion. I think he's like honorable mention. He's taken over the Serge Ibaka role in that department. Yeah, I I sorry sort of say for OG, but I I think yeah. that oh, yeah, Trent might be the heir apparent instead yeah. of. <laughs> uh, young OG Ananobi. Uh, anyway, uh, we're gonna we're gonna take a quick break, but we talked about, I mean, maybe the story of the week, at least the rivalry of the week, Devin Booker versus the Raptor. Uh, we're we're gonna have some fun with that. Talk about some of our other favorite NBA rivalries, feuds over the years. That's coming up here on the Raptors beat. Josh and Nikki back with you on the Raptors beat. And Nikki, uh, a fun week 
in the NBA, as, as great as some of these games have been, how about some of these rivalries that we're now getting to? We talked about the Raptor versus Devin Booker. Uh, as all of that was going on in Toronto, the Raptors and the Suns going punch for punch, we had that great game going on in Memphis, the Red Hot Grizzlies upsetting the Warriors, but John Morant, one of, one of the biggest names, one of the rising stars in the NBA right now, he finishes off a, a layup and then has that stare down for a young Warriors <laughs> fan and a Steph Curry jersey. We've got Morant so versus a young Warriors fan. We've got Booker versus the Raptor. This is why I love the NBA, and here at the Raptors Beat, we, we love any reason to have a draft, love a good draft. So we're going to draft our favorite NBA rivalries and feuds. We're each going to take three of them. Who are you thinking, Nikki? Why, why don't you go first? Okay. Well, thank you for giving me the floor. Uh, I'm going to go kind of keeping with the theme of mascots and draft Robin Lopez versus NBA mascots in general. <laughs> if you're going to hate it. mascots, do it right, Devin Booker. Take a page out of Robin Lopez's notebook and actually give it to the mascots. What Robin Lope, Robin, what, what Devin Booker did was just kind of like – I just I was just literally watching a clip on, on Twitter of um, of Larry Bird back in the day, and, and he was trying to be distracted by uh, the Clippers mascot and just laughed it off and, and drained his two free throws. But the fact that Devin Booker was so bothered and had the Raptor removed, I don't know. I don't know why that bugs me. It just does. But if you're going to do it right, do it like Robin Lopez and really give it uh, to the mascot. That's who I'm taking first. How about you? And Robin Lopez has fun with it, and now Booker's trying to, right? Like, he's he's doing yeah. his thing on social media and, and all of that. So I guess it's come around a little bit to where, okay, maybe they're, maybe they're good now. But, yeah, I mean, that, that, he was not having fun at the time. That, that was – he was ticked off. Um, I'm, I'm going to go with – I, I want to go with another one that's sort of come around full circle a little bit. Reggie Miller versus Spike Lee. Oh, They're good yeah. now. They joke about it. But back in the day when Reggie Miller used to just hand it to Spike's Knicks teams in the playoffs, there there was no love lost there, right? Like the, the trash talk, it was fun for us. It was a, a great subplot of those great Knicks Pacers series. But yeah, th those were not guys that, that liked each other very much at the time. Definitely. No, that's a good one. I'm a huge Reggie Miller fan. That was my 1B. Um, I'm going to have to go next with the Michael Jordan, Isaiah Thomas feud yeah. rivalry um, because that one was just just epic. And everyone or anyone who saw the last dance and you hear it come out of Michael's mouth was um, was pretty revealing. Um, the fact that Michael was able and I guess Scotty were able was able to keep Isaiah Thomas off that Olympic dream team just shows you the disdain for that man. Um, and so, and as of course, a huge Michael Jordan fan, anything that he does is can't be wrong to me. So uh, I'm going to have to go with uh, Jordan and Isaiah Thomas. How about you? That's an all timer. I'll take yeah. another all timer in Shaq and Kobe, uh, another full circle one, right? Because they were, a great duo, won three championships together for a, probably a multitude of reasons. They they couldn't coexist anymore, and, and 
what but what you love about that in addition to the fact that they both had success right like it wasn't a, a scenario where they break up and then one of them goes on and like they both won championships uh, separately and then after all those years of feuding and and back and forth through the media social media all of that um they really did find some some common ground and 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 made peace so um two great players and um, one of the great rivalries in NBA history. I'll, I'll take Shaq and Kobe. Yeah, it's funny because I was, you know, just going down memory lane and went went down a rabbit hole on those two guys. And I was watching a sit down that they did where, you know, they kind of talked it out and kind of hashed things out. And Kobe was talking about leaving L.A. and him and Vanessa were looking at houses in Chicago because um, it, it, had be, it had gotten to that point where they just could not, you know, function together anymore. Uh, and it was it was just, you know, really sad. It was really sad that, uh, of course, everything surrounding Kobe is sad, but just that they couldn't they couldn't get it together. And it was sad to see what really could it have been um, just never, you know, they could have they could have really just continued to dominate and just didn't happen. For sure. Um, OK, so my last one, I you know, that was that's a great one. I'm going to have to go with Larry Bird and Magic Johnson. This is a little bit before my time. And I and I, I, and I but I could appreciate the rivalry that they that they had. What I really liked about this rivalry, though, and why I'm drafting them, is that this was a time where players really hated each other. And, and it, also the Jordan-Isaiah Thomas thing, right? They, 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 like, rivalries were rivalries, and they would never think of making a super team or joining forces. Like, they were true to their team and to that logo on their chest. And that one, I think this is one of the most enduring rivalries and, and one of the most entertaining ones. Uh, of 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 that generation, so I'm going to have to go with Magic and Larry Bird. How about you? Well, I'll segue here into our next conversation, which is looking ahead to this upcoming week, and say Dwayne Casey versus the Toronto oh, Raptors. Good one. Yeah, we, Dwayne was <laughs> in the uh, protocol very briefly this week. We're glad he's okay, and I'm sure he is too, because he's going to be back there on the sideline in time for Friday's game in Detroit against the Raptors. And this has been <laughs> his Super Bowl since uh, leaving the Raptors, since they let him go, since he got that job in Detroit. Uh, somehow he and his Pistons are always at the top of their game. I mean, even though this is one of the younger rebuilding teams in the league, uh, they they look like a super team whenever they face the Raptors. 7-2, and two, Dwayne Casey is against the Raptors uh, with the Pistons. So it, it'll be interesting to see if the Raptors can... Uh, bounce back, and, and we, Boucher talked about it the other day, play like they did against the Suns against a team that's not the Suns. Uh, a tough week otherwise for the Raptors as they go on this five-game road trip. They're in Milwaukee on Saturday to see, well, maybe Giannis uh, for the first time this year. The Raptors with a couple of wins against the Giannis-less Bucks this season, but that'll be a really good test, assuming that Giannis is healthy and in uniform uh, then the first matchup against Kyle Lowry and the Heat. Fittingly, that is the halfway point of the season for the Raptors. Game number 41. They've got a, a tough one in Dallas against the Mavs on Wednesday as well. But uh, on the topic of the halfway point, Nikki, uh, Raptors almost there. And it's time for us to look back, evaluate 
where this team is at this point of the season, hand out some first-half awards, and then look ahead to the second half and, and maybe um, identify some key questions that will determine ultimately how this team fares over the next few months. Uh, so we're going to chat Raptors at the halfway point coming up here after the break. This is the Raptors Beat. Welcome back. Nikki and Josh with you for another 15 minutes or so. And we're going to hand out some first half awards. The Raptors 20 and 18 through 38 games, but they reached the half point, the official halfway point on Monday, fittingly against Kyle Lowry and the Miami Heat. It's game number 41 for them. And Nikki, I mean, these first few months have just flown by. It's crazy that we're already halfway through. But when you look back at what the Raptors have done so far, their body of work, as tough as it is to evaluate with all the injuries and COVID protocols and all of that, how would you grade the first half of the season? Have they met your expectations, exceeded them, fallen short of them? Yeah, it's really interesting, right? I can't believe we're at this point already. But it's been challenging, uh, of course, with all the injuries that they've had to deal with, the the chemistry, trying to get, you know, acclimated with each other, familiar with one another. Somebody's in, somebody's out. Of course, Pascal wasn't there to start the season. And it's been it's been a lot. There's been a lot of like um, just kind of sorting through what this team is. I think only now in the last six, seven games, really, have we been able to see the full potential, perhaps, of this team. So. I don't, I don't want to say it's met my expectations or exceeded my expectations. I think I think they're just kind of where I thought they would be at this point uh, until they were fully healthy and, and, you know, together and connected. It was hard to imagine what they could actually be, but now we're starting to see that. So if I had to grade them, I guess they'd get a B or a B plus. Um, you know, they're above 500, which is, I guess, a good, a good uh, benchmark for this team. Um, but the the potential, uh, what they have shown these last couple of games, again against that you know Phoenix Suns team, um, gives me hope and some optimism for for the second half um, of the season. How about you? Yeah, I, I mean, I I think they've exceeded expectations for a lot of people. I mean, certainly for uh, Vegas going into the season, the, the over under <laughs> yeah. for wins was thirty six point five. They're on pace for 43 wins right now. So I think from that standpoint, it's easy to say that they've exceeded expectations. For me personally, like going into this season, I I looked at them as a 500 team, understanding obviously that there is uh, some room for um, some wiggle room uh, in either direction, depending on how things shook out. Um, in terms of injury luck and and all of that, right, and development. I I looked at it and sort of like, okay, let's say they're 500. Maybe you subtract a few wins if the young guys develop slowly and if injuries hit, and maybe you add a few wins if everything comes together quickly, the guys develop and build chemistry, and if they have some good injury luck. But I think if we take into account the context of the season so far, the fact that they haven't had great injury luck, right? Like the the core four of Van Vliet, Ananobi, Siakam, Barnes has played eight games together, 129 minutes together. So all things considered when you factor in the injuries and the COVID outbreak and the inconsistency, 
the fact that they're sitting here uh, almost the halfway point, over 500, and, and right in the thick of things in a wide-open Eastern Conference, I think from that standpoint, I would say they've exceeded my expectations. Uh, so, yeah, I agree with you. I, I'd probably say B um, in terms of where they're at right now. Um, let's Let's look at some of the storylines here so far in the first half of the season what's been the best story or the most fun story for you so far it has to be scotty barnes hands down i think you know as a rookie coming into you know this season coming into this year no one knew what to expect of course he was kind of behind the eight ball already (laughs) i think for for raptors fans but Right from jump, he he proved that he belonged on this team, and and he's started every game that that he's been in, and and he's so such a vital uh, piece of this team. And you can, you know, it, it's it's exciting to imagine where he's going to be and and his growth and his potential and, and building around what has become an integral piece uh, for this Raptors organization. And so, um, I, I just love what he's been able to do every time Nick Nurse has asked him to do something. Uh, be more aggressive, you know, uh, take more threes, uh, you know, be be a facilitator or a ball handler. He, he's been able to do it. Um, and and he's still so young, right? I, I, we were talking about it last week, just his growth, not just, you know, in, in the, the literal sense, but he like, well, well, I should say in the literal sense, like he, you could see him getting bigger and physically getting stronger and the potential in the ceiling for this guy is just so exciting. So uh, I have to say he has been my most... Um, He's been my most pleasant surprise uh, so far this season. Yeah, you? I've got a couple. Of, I've got a couple of them, and that's definitely one. I, I mean, going back to the draft, he turned a lot of heads, raised a lot of eyebrows, and the Raptors selected Scotty over Jalen Suggs fourth overall. Uh, but I, I don't think anybody is asking that question now, whether or not that was the right move. I, I mean, the, the narrative, even at the time, and even from the Raptors organization itself, was like, don't judge this pick based on what we see right away. It may take a few years before uh, Barnes really emerges and establishes himself as one of the better players in this draft. Well, Nikki, it took, like, minutes, not not yeah. years. <laughs> it, it took minutes, I, I mean, his career high, one of the best games that he he played, came in Game Two in Boston against the Celtics. Um, so his coming out party came right out of the gate, and I agree with you. I just think you look at the body of work here and what we've already come to expect from Scotty Barnes. The development has been so much quicker than than what a lot of people thought, especially on the offensive end. Um, so I agree. I think that's been a, a fun story, something obviously for Raptors fans to get excited about when looking towards not only the second half here, but the future, one of the front runners for rookie of the year and certainly one of the better and more exciting players in a really good draft class. But if that's my 1A for fun story, I'm going to have to go with Pascal Siakam as my 1B. Obviously, a lot of questions for him coming into this season, too, not only dealing with the injury and understanding that he's going to have a late start, but also what version of Pascal Siakam do we get when he does come back from offseason shoulder surgery. Uh, it's been a rough couple years for him on and off the court, so it's been really, really nice to see him round back into form, get back to his pre-pandemic all-star, all-NBA caliber play, and he's really, really been that good over the last 
I don't know, two months or so. We talked about him earlier, just taking that next step as a playmaker, as a player overall. It's been really good to see. And as you mentioned, it was a great point that you made earlier, Nikki, to see him play the game with that kind of joy again has been really great. Let's look at the other side of things. Uh, What's been the biggest disappointment for you here um, over the first half of the season? It would have to be the bench. Just the fact that no one has really stepped up besides Chris Boucher. He, he is, you know, obviously comes off the bench and is that um, I'm not counting Chris Boucher. I'm just saying the rest of the bench, I think is is a bit of a disappointment, particularly if I have to call someone out is is Malachi Flynn, who who has just completely gotten lost in the shuffle here. And I, I don't know what the plan is for Malachi. Who's seemingly non-existent now He's even struggling with the Raptors 905. Um, he just can't seem to find his game. And so, um, but I'm going to have to say the the, the the bench unit right now is is a bit of a disappointment. Obviously, because, you know, uh, I, I feel like we're, we're not that far removed from bench mob, but we're so far removed from bench mob at the same time. When you look at um, what the Raptors are working with uh, right now. And then also, you know, the the... this is a rabbit hole. I don't want to go down, but just kind of the pipeline, because we always knew that the Raptors 905, they can always plug and play guys uh, to come up to the big club when needed. And that's just not existent uh, anymore. So I think uh, the bench unit is something that uh, I would say has been the biggest struggle this season and uh, the biggest disappointment for me. How about you? Yeah. Flynn tops that list for me, just based on how great he looked towards the end of last season. One of the lone bright spots towards the end of of last season uh but it really started here in training camp this year lost his backup point guard gig to delano banton and just hasn't found any kind of uh role or momentum on this team chris boucher up until a few weeks ago would have been on this list for me um but he's really turned things around and i would say just based on how things have played out in the goran Dragic saga not that that's oh, especially sure. surprising but i know both parties wanted to make this try to make this work Dragic showed up and was a, a great veteran teammate through training camp and and really wanted to play a, a role on this team and the raptors tried to make it work as well but i mean ultimately coming to a, a mutual understanding basically to part ways here until the trade deadline see if he can be moved and then probably buy him out afterwards if they don't find a deal that they like a bit of a disappointment in the way that that's played out as well uh first half surprises really quick i'll just say gary trent has been uh, a pleasant surprise uh signed that contract over the off season but i think a lot of people wondered okay well where does he fit in is he just like an offensive spark plug but defensively he's been a pleasant surprise has been a really important part of this yeah. young core that the raptors are building and delano banton uh, i think early in the season as well a pleasant surprise as a second round pick yeah those are two definite pleasant surprises and i'm, I'm going to throw freddie in there too i guess we shouldn't be surprised that freddie is playing at the level that he is but I, I i don't know i i think he's found another level uh and just the way he's been able to carry this team in the post kyle lowry era um and now we're, you know he's a potential uh all-star i just think he's found a level to his game that um is obviously much needed, but the way he's been carrying this team on and off the court um, has been has been very uh, nice to see. Looking ahead to the second half here, I mean, the biggest question obviously is health. Can the Raptors stay healthy yeah. uh, long enough to build chemistry with that that group with that core that they they have? 
Scotty Barnes? Can he continue to develop, or is he going to hit the rookie wall at some point? Have we already seen him hit the rookie wall recently, or is that just the uh, knee injury that he's been dealing with? And then the February 10th trade deadline, what do the Raptors do? We'll certainly talk about that over the coming weeks in terms of things that I'm looking forward to in the second half. I mean... When are the fans back in the building? And that's sure. ultimately going to determine how big some of these key dates are coming up on the calendar. Norm Powell's return coming up in 10 days, January 23rd. Pretty safe bet the fans won't be in the building for that return either, which sucks, again, given that we've seen JV and, and Surge come back recently to empty buildings. And then the Kyle return on February 1st. I mean, is he even going to play with the Heat in uh, the second night of a back-to-back and potentially no fans in the building? If not... Kyle's return more likely uh, when the Heat visit uh, the Raptors in April, on uh, April 3rd. Uh, what are you looking forward to really quickly for the second half, Nikki? Yeah, I'm looking forward to some, of course, good health and uh, maybe a return to quote-unquote normalcy, whatever that means. All those things that you just said. And I'm also looking forward to see who else the Raptor, the Ma- Raptor mascot, can piss off um, these next couple of games without any fans. well there you go i mean yes uh well now that he's got his three kalo points here he's on the board (laughs) let's see if he can keep it up and 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 maybe uh earn uh, a few more next week uh a a big week for the raptors coming up here five game road trip a few tough games on the schedule Uh, we'll have a lot to talk about next week in the meantime check us out uh on spotify Apple Podcasts, anywhere where you get your podcasts. Uh, Please subscribe and follow, rate and review, uh, and we'll chat with you next week here on the Raptors Beat. Thanks for listening.